Welcome to Forward. Educate yourself on the new world. The podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance with your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Real chiropractic talk. No rainbows, no unicorns. Start putting in the work. The biggest names in the industry. The legends, the innovators, the up-and-comers. This is the podcast for progressive DCs. So buckle up. Passion is the feeling you have that you would probably do this for free and you can't believe somebody pays you to do it. Welcome, everybody, to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance, and I am your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. If you do not know what the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance is, check us out on forwardthinkingchiro.com. Check out our Facebook group, Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance, should be searchable by now. There are over 7,400 members, DCs, and students, and fellow professionals such as PTs and uh, marketing professionals and finance professionals, you name it, inside the group. It is a great community if you want to check it out. This podcast is brought to you by the American Chiropractic Association. They are your partners in evidence-based care and they have high standards for membership. Check them out at acatoday.com. And they're catching a little bit of grief about this uh, choosing wisely recommendations, adopting those recommendations. Um, Maybe maybe get somebody from the ACA ACA on to talk specifically about choosing wisely and those five recommendations. Uh, Let me work on that and I'll get that into us as a, as a new episode. Um, Because I think that would be an interesting thing to talk about. It seems to be all the rave since since the World Federation of Chiropractic Assembly in Berlin where some stuff went down about the Choosing Wisely recommendations. Next, uh, we have a sponsor that is called Pain Zone. Please check out Pain Zone, ipainzone.com. They also sponsor the Pain Zone Finish. Dun, dun, dun. At the end of this episode, we, we will encapsulate the episode. And that's also brought to you by Pain Zone. Go to ipainzone.com and get those samples. Check them out and become a family member of the Pain Zone family. You'll be taken care of quite nicely, I must say. Uh, next in sponsorship, we have uh, Advanced Musculoskeletal Therapies, home of the Miracle Wave. You can check them out. I'm sure if you just Google Miracle Wave, you'll get all the information you want on these great uh, acoustic shockwave therapy machines that are awesome for treating tendinopathies, which is right in line with what we're going to talk about today with uh, musculoskeletal ultrasound. I mean, if you could line up all the machines that go beep, you would have to have uh, almost like standard if you had diagnostic ultrasound to have acoustic shockwave therapy right there next to you to get the job done. And there's no better people to help you with that than Advanced Musculoskeletal Therapies, the home of the Miracle Wave. We're also sponsored by Parker Seminars, and they're going to have their lineups for Parker Vegas and their Parker Homecoming soon, and I'm sure we're going to hear plenty about it, and they do a great job. And the buzz is ever-growing on Parker Seminars and Parker Las Vegas. It is now a place to come back to for the whole profession. A big, giant hug, a big, giant, warm bear hug for all of us of all walks of chiropractic life. Um, today's guests, we have, uh, we always try these and that sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. 
but I like to try having multiple guests on at once. I, I think when we talked about World Spine Care and we had Dr. Haldeman and Dr. Jeff Outerbridge, I think that was a great episode. I think the episode where we talked about uh, the fasting mimicking diet and prolon therapy, that was a great multi-guest episode. Um, well, I guess now you can go through and see which other ones were multi-guest episodes and didn't didn't work out that great because uh, it's hard because we're not all looking at each other and trying to prevent interruptions and getting conversation out there. But this one went good. And we talked with the Logan University uh, radiology faculty who put on the musculoskeletal ultrasound uh, program. So Ross Maddox, Dr. Ross Maddox, Dr. Patrick Battaglia, and Dr. Dan, Dan Hahn. Um, they are also going to be presenting at, at uh, Forward 2019, which is our annual convention for the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. And they will be speaking on this topic specifically. Uh, that event is September 20th through the 22nd at Logan University 2019. You can find out more at forwardthinkingchiro.com. It's plastered all over that webpage. And we have tons and tons and tons of great speakers, uh, continuing education, and fun events for you to, to uh, check out. I do note offhand some of the great speakers we have already confirmed is uh, Gray Cook is going to be our uh, keynote speaker. He's also been a guest on this podcast, and he will be a guest again. Brett Winchester, who's been a guest on this podcast. Uh, Annie O'Connor, author of A World of Hurt. And uh, Dr. Christine Gertz, DC, PhD, will be a guest as well. And that list does go on and on and on. So we've got a really awesome event for you to check out. And the early bird for that event to save you some money for registration is ending soon. So you don't want to miss that because there's a lot of fun stuff. And uh, when we did it last year, it was, um, it was trans transcendent, if that's a word. Uh, people had a really, really, really good time, and they learned a lot, and a lot of great relationships were built. So it's just an event you cannot miss, and uh, hopefully I'll see you there. Other than that, uh, with these guys, these esteemed doctors of Logan University, uh, we're going to talk about musculoskeletal ultrasound, and we're going to have a good time doing it. And I uh, hope you enjoy the show. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. You can find out about the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance at forwardthinkingchiro.com. I am here with three guests today. It's a, it's a, a gang they're jumping me into their diagnostic ultrasound gang and they've all surrounded me and they're forcing me to talk about it guys i have listeners there's an audience out there don't suck don't this is a this is a conversation that can go either way a snoozer or not mm -hmm. and i i fully expect that you guys will make this you'll deliver you'll have hot takes right i'm joined by dr ross maddox dr pat battaglia and dr dan juan dan Han, not Juan, Dan Han. There you go. And they're from Logan University. Uh, Ross, can you give us a general idea of what, what you guys do with diagnostic ultrasound at Logan University? Yeah, so the actual program, uh, so there's a radiology residency and there's a fellowship. The fellow, as far as what happens on campus, that person performs all the exams. So those exams come from not just our student clinic, not just our outpatient clinics, but also from field docs. So 
anybody in the St. Louis metropolitan area or surrounding area <clears throat> wanting a musculoskeletal ultrasound exam performed, especially at a decent cost, will send patients to our radiology department. So what it provides is a lot of good practice for the fellow, uh, also a lot of experience for the residents who are sitting in on the sessions where the fellow is going through the the exam afterwards with the radiologist. So everybody's a part of it. Um, and it really gets your hands on. I mean, during my fellowship, I guess I did somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 exams uh, over the course of a year. Some people are there a little bit longer, uh, some a little less. Uh, and then from there, uh, myself, uh, Dr. Pataglia and Dr. Hahn all are in positions as clinicians as well. So we are allowed to take portable machines into our clinics. And as opposed to what happens on campus where we're doing a real uh, point by port, real structured exam, we're allowed to kind of go off the off track a little bit. So we would practice what we would call a point of care ultrasound. So a little more targeted exam than you might find that happens on campus. Uh, Dr. Dan and Dr. Pat, what do, what does diagnostic ultrasound bring to the chiropractic profession or to diagnosis in general? So um, I think number one, the just the act of, of learning uh, ultrasounds really really enhances the clinical skill set just having to go through and relearn the anatomy and learn the sexual anatomy the relationships etc that really improves i think just the skill set and the more and more i encounter patients you know with extremity complaints probably i wouldn't say the less i use ultrasound but the less i use a comprehensive ultrasound because you know learning it over time really enhances your skill set differential etc so that by itself, I think, is really valuable. And then on top of that, oftentimes, I would argue, most um, good musculoskeletal clinicians have a pretty narrow differential by the time they're done talking with and then examining patients. So they kind of have an idea, maybe it's this, that, or the third. And then you can usually knock one or two of those things off the list with a well-done ultrasound exam. Usually that gives you a threshold to start with treatment. At that point, if you're not getting the results you like, or sometimes the answer's not satisfactory, then you have to pull the trigger on more expensive and, and costly or timely imaging like MRI. But usually you can streamline the clinical process a lot with a well-conducted ultrasound exam, I would say. Yeah, and I'd piggyback off of that saying that ultrasound, even though at our institution, it's usually physically housed in the radiology department, Across the world, ultrasound is the tool of the clinician, and it will become more so moving forward, especially as um, high-quality ultrasound imaging units become more affordable and more widely available. It will really become a tool in the hand of the clinician, and the radiologist will be left, left out of that mix. And many people call it the stethoscope of the future instead of using a stethoscope to listen to heart sounds, we're going to be using the ultrasound like a stethoscope to enhance our examination skills, enhance our, our diagnostic accuracy, and hopefully what will result will be improved patient outcomes uh, moving forward. Uh, you guys can rock, paper, scissors for this next question. Where does musculoskeletal ultrasound shine? What sort of conditions or presentations or scenarios? Dan, you take it. 
Okay, I threw rocks, so that means I win, right? <laughs> True. Perfect. Yeah, ultrasound in the musculoskeletal system, its, it's bread and butter is started out in the shoulder. Rotator cuff, tendon, diagnosis. And that still is where it is most highly utilized and, and most useful because it has comparable uh, accuracy from a sensitivity and specificity standpoint for full thickness tears of the rotator cuff uh, tendons as MRI at a fraction of the cost. And it's something that can potentially be done in the office setting. So ultrasound of the shoulder is really currently where ultrasound, at least how we've been using it, really makes this bread and butter. But it can easily um, go elsewhere. I, I have a particular interest in peripheral nerve entrapments, peripheral neuropathies, and ultrasound has shown to be a very valuable tool in the diagnosis of uh, carpal tunnel syndrome, for example, and is really helpful in ascertaining the severity of a peripheral nerve entrapment and could potentially be used to monitor uh, response to treatment over time. You guys, true or false, it, so it's going to shine in places where cross-sectional anatomy is pretty thinly layered? Shoulders, wrists, I think, ankles. Yeah, I think as a rule, yeah. Um, I think it's showing shoulder, elbow, wrist, hand, you know, and even hip on down. I don't have a, a depth number for you, but I would say six centimeter, seven centimeter at most for most things. Of course, that's pretty deep for some pieces of anatomy. Um, as a general rule to build on uh, what Dan said, in general, tendon disease, tendinopathy, tendon tear, ligament, you know, insufficiency or tear, peripheral nerve entrapment, and then intermediate to high-grade muscle disease, not low-grade, but intermediate to high-grade muscle injury, plus the evaluation of soft tissue masses that are clinically, you know, palpable but not well ascertained. Yeah. That's an entrapment neuropathy. Those are sort of the rough guidelines for considering an ultrasound exam. And then to your point, depending on the depth of the anatomy, there might be some limitation there. Who loves diagnostic ultrasound at this point? Like have sports teams embraced it, uh, PTs, larger facilities? Um, you know, the, the reason I'm playing devil's advocate or lay person here is we don't, I don't see a lot of, diag of musculoskeletal ultrasound on the West Coast. I think I've seen one provider uh, uh, utilizing it in their clinic. Um, obviously, I'm, now I guess I'm older than most folks, so, so we never were exposed to it in school. And I want to know who's using it and where they feel they have success. Obviously, you've got to buy a machine, right? And that's not like uh, buying a tube of toothpaste, there's some, there's some costs associated with that. But uh, where do you see this, this approach really shining? Is it larger facilities? Um, who loves it? All those sort of questions. You guys can just like tag one person back into the ring and then one person can jump in the ring and take one or the other. I would say that it's across the board being used the most, um, Certainly radiology uses it as an adjunct, um, and this will be depending on the centers. There are some centers across the country that they really pioneered the use of musculoskeletal ultrasound, so they have their own departments, you know, Thomas Jefferson in Philadelphia, for an example. But for the most part, radiology, musculoskeletal radiology, my guess would be uses it as an adjunct to the existing imaging to guide procedures. So 
image guided injections, that sort of thing. Sure. As a standalone, uh, physical medicine uh, has a lot of exposure. So PM and our physicians, um, that would probably be the biggest, um, you know, physical medicine type or physical therapy type specialty. Physical therapists themselves, um, across the board, I'm not so sure. I know there are select ones that do. Um, but you're right. It's not as probably mainstream as it should be, at least in the United States, for customary diagnosis um, of musculoskeletal conditions. Well, I think it probably comes, I mean, that, that would be hard to figure out, but uh, since so many PTs tend to be more uh, inst- inst- institutionalized, not the word I want to use, uh, committed to working within institutions, there's probably some cross referral with the, with the, sure. uh, yeah, um, not institutionalized, but then again, they can join some chiropractors and being institutionalized. So there, you know, there's a, there's a spectrum out there for everybody. Um, so it would probably be a good advantage or a good marketing tool and a good diagnostic uh, maneuver to, to, to be a clinician and understand who in your community does do diagnostic or multi, musculoskeletal ultrasound and develop a referral relationship with them. Definitely. And you also, just to add to that, you want to know the level of training of that person. So we get asked all the time. Uh, I'm in whatever city and whatever state and I want to send somebody say, well, there's probably someone at the hospital, but you want to know their level of training, especially. So I guess what you would say is unique about people who have our kind of training. A, we know our anatomy really well because we were already chiropractors ahead of time. Then we went through this training as opposed to somebody who's a sonographer who knows the technique and the protocol, but maybe not, maybe they don't understand the pathoanatomy, uh, the, the base anatomy and the biomechanics of everything. So it would be important to know the, that you can trust that person who's doing the exam. And, and to go back to what you said a minute ago too, yep. uh, you're right. Machines are expensive, but every year things are getting cheaper and cheaper. Uh, Technology is getting better. Uh, things are getting cheaper. And the entry point into ultrasound now is a whole lot softer than it used to be. You, there was a time when you wouldn't be talking about under, say, thirty-five thousand uh, dollars. Now, for a couple thousand dollars, you could have a probe in your hand, and that doesn't make you a professional at doing it, but it does allow you to practice as a clinician on a daily basis, every single day, on every single patient. If you want to put the time in, until you get really good at it, and then maybe you can make that jump up to a nicer machine. What's the barrier to entry education-wise? What do people need to know? You guys put on a course, so tell me what you guys teach in the courses. When do you guys want to take it? So definitely you need to know um, uh, anatomy, you know, musculoskeletal anatomy, both analog and probably more importantly, uh, sectional. Now that's something that, you know, develops over time. Um, It's kind of bi-directional, right? As you learn more ultrasound, your anatomy deepens for those of us that learned MRI at the same time we're learning ultrasound like Ross Dan and myself it was really really complimentary so um, nonetheless anatomy of course is, is going to be most important and then after that we, we always start uh, our courses with what's called like a patterns of disease lecture so musculoskeletal tissues and, and even peripheral nerves have certain patterns in the way they demonstrate pathology so an Achilles tendinopathy looks kind of similar from the underlying 
pattern of derangement as rotator cuff tendinopathy does. So there are basic sort of principles or patterns of disease throughout the musculoskeletal system that once you get those down, your methodology of interpreting the ultrasound exam um, becomes a lot easier. But, but so, the rest so you of need it, the skill, huh? Of, you need to develop some skill over time. <laughs> right, right. And then, yeah, and to that point, too, the, the mechanics of it, um, you know, that, that, that can't be kind of learned beforehand, right? Uh, as far as anatomy and patterns of disease, that can be learned yeah. without the aid of a probe. But then, of course, the skill set of how you hold the probe, how you insinate the probe to optimize the image, that's really, you know, on the job, so to speak. You have to be uh, interacting with participants and examining them to, to develop that. Yeah, it, I've, I've been inundated with um, conversations lately in the profession and out of the profession, musculoskeletal health in general. You know, mm -hmm. there's this huge argument. We all love evidence-based care, no doubt. But there seems to be a wall where we hit where some people really start to eschew the techniques or the approaches that are not fully evidence-based and might also take some skill along the way, say mm -hmm. manual therapies. Uh, rehab-based therapies, diagnostic skills. Obviously, those things are things that take time to be skillful, so it's really hard to sort of research um, reproducibility and reliability and validity of soft tissue work, right? <laughs> right. Um, so so I, I just want the listeners to understand that you don't get to purchase a machine and then like zap people with the machine and then it, it tells you everything you need to know. There is actually some sort of, of skill that you have to learn along the way. For yeah, sure. The most common description is a snowstorm. So somebody looks at the screen and they have absolutely no idea. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. The things are, but it's just like anything else. I mean, you could compare it to MRI. Uh, when you first look at an MRI, you might recognize a spine, but uh, when you get into extremities, you need to know which way is cranial, which way is caudal. Uh, certain colors mean something based on a pulse sequence. The same things apply to ultrasound. And it's really just a, uh, pattern recognition and repetition. Yeah, one of the biggest knocks against ultrasound historically has been that it is so operator and interpreter dependent. Uh, but to piggyback off the other points here, the same can be said for many of the skills oh, sure. we do as chiropractic <laughs> physicians, right? So we didn't just wake up one day with the skill. And there are many courses out there that take a similar approach to the way we train people. And that we train it in a very systematic manner, which helps to uh, make the learning curve less steep. Um, and the, the biggest hurdle most people have is just relearning their anatomy because ultrasound can image the microanatomy of many of the tissues that uh, practitioners have long forgotten about the microanatomy of tendons and of ligaments and of uh, peripheral nerves and of muscle. And so once they get the anatomy refreshed back under their belt, then they can take off pretty quickly once they get a few repetitions. And the, the dependence of it, the operator dependence, if you're well-trained and you're responsible in your use of it, that becomes a real asset, you know, yeah. non-conventional imaging planes, yeah. you know, things like uh, internal impingement in the shoulder, for example, um, even UCL tears, these sorts of things where maybe the joint has to be in a different range of motion. That's tough to do on MRI reproducibly, um, that's the beauty of ultrasound, right? The real-time interaction with the patient in an unconventional manner. Now, that takes time to get to that skill, and that can be abused, of course, but if you're uh, comfortable with it, 
that becomes sort of an advantage of it too. Hmm, indeed. And talking about uh, user, you know, it's it's user dependent. Uh, I'd say the same is very true for anything else. We've all experienced crappy X-rays and crappy MRI. Yeah. Uh, I almost never. I mean, I'll read a report, but I, I'm not ever. I just I don't. I don't trust the report. I never do. I'm gonna go read the. I'm gonna go look at the X-ray. I'm gonna go look at the MRI myself, and uh, it's just way too common where I find. You know, the tech did this wrong and the radiologist did this wrong. And I disagree with the finding. Uh, I think a lot of it is with a lot of the things that we do in healthcare in general is almost like uh, throwing, throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks and what will stick on average, you know. It and be. it's like the, the, the way you become a good clinician or a good diagnostician or whatever, whatever you're sort of aiming after, a good rehab specialist a good adjuster who can't forget the people who adjust spines, right? right. Is like, you got to, it's, it's patient selection. It's, I know from experience and from what the evidence shows me that in this case, this thing is the best thing to do for this person. Right. Instead of sort of just uh, whitewashing everybody and giving them the same exact thing over and over again. Um, so it's just like uh, Stu McGill would say, there's no such thing as, as nonspecific low back pain. But however, how many people run around saying that there is non-specific low back pain? It's, it's just uh, non-organic low back pain. It'll go away on its own in four to six weeks. Don't worry about it. Um, that's where you start to get in trouble with people. You start failing people. Right. Um, there was one, I think Dan touched on it. Maybe it was Pat. I'm not sure. But someone said that there was a knock on musculoskeletal ultrasound what mm -hmm. are the knocks what are the drawbacks let's keep it real sure. here it's not it's not perfect sure well like we mentioned before the the most commonly espoused uh, knock against it has been its its operator dependence and its interpreter dependence but once you get um, people who are well trained doing it, it it actually has shown to be pretty reliable in the studies that have looked at that another knock or I guess we'll just call it the limitation and kind of like what you mentioned here, Bobby is knowing what patients are compatible with getting a good ultrasound exam and what patients are. So the biggest, one of the biggest limitations really is patient body habitus. So the larger the patient, the, the less likely you are to get a high quality ultrasound study on that patient just due to the technical limitations they're in. So body habitus uh, plays a big role in, in limiting what can be done from an ultrasound perspective. It's better just to go MRI in those cases. Yeah. yeah if, if stuff starts getting more than six centimeters away from the probe, then our, the resolution starts to take a, a serious hit and, and therefore your, your accuracy and, and your, uh, your confidence in a, a finding versus no finding becomes a real challenge. So, so it, more conventional imaging tools are still better, but keep in mind body habitus is a limitation for almost every imaging tool, right? It degrades the yeah. quality of your radiograph. It degrades the quality of your MRI. Um, ultrasound isn't alone in that, but it, it seems to be a little more susceptible uh, to that to that uh, limitation. I'll throw in, we already mentioned it, but cost, I would say, is becoming a knock of the past. Uh, again, that entry level, there are even people who are uh, members of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance who 
have attended our course and brought in their butterfly IQ probes, which are around $2,000, I believe. And again, oh, that's, not bad. that's not bad at all. No, compared to a $20,000 laptop unit. I mean, we use top of the line stuff in the radiology department, but oh, we're also sure. doing research. Logan University, come on. <laughs> right. uh, when you're doing research, when you're publishing research, you want the best possible images, you want the best resolution, but if you're using it in clinic, that's a different story. You don't want this big, clunky, cart-based unit. Uh, but that, that, that price point is making it a lot easier for people to get into the game and again, to be able to start practicing and to be able to realize how important it is to their, their skill set. Well, how, how important is it? How valuable is the information you get from uh, musculoskeletal ultrasound? How do you use it as clinicians? If you, if you talk to the three of us, because again, we have extensive training and not just imaging in general, uh, but also ultrasound. And now we're in this, this clinical picture. Uh, it's, just, I don't know how I got by without it, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, like Pat said earlier, there are so many simple things that you can rule in or out, uh, especially rule out certain things, make your differential list a lot shorter. And also, I mean, I consider myself, when I'm working with a patient, I consider myself a money manager. Um, I've yeah. got to do the, the most important test that's going to give me the most information for the least money. If I'm starting with ultrasound, if I've got it in my hand, I can make that next test count. Uh, I can rule out so many things in the shoulder before I say with much more confidence, okay, this is probably a slap lesion. Now I can't see it with ultrasound because that's, that's a limitation. That's not uh, a strong point, but I feel a lot more confident if I've got certain findings on my ultrasound, I feel a lot more confident telling that person to go spend their hard earned money to get an MRI. Yeah. And I also feel a lot more confident in ordering contrast in that MRI, uh, intraarticular contrast, because I know that needs to be there because of my ultrasound findings. And not and, burning them on six weeks of rehab too. Yeah, exactly. You would have wasted time. Right. And if I had blindly ordered that MRI and not ordered the intraarticular contrast, well, I just wasted their money again because the report's going to come back and you say, oh, I can't really see the labrum. I don't know. But wouldn't it have been nice to do a five-minute 10 minute exam, whatever it is, have some ultrasound images and say, you know, I feel like that's what this is. This needs to be uh, an intraarticular contrast. Uh, it needs to be an MR arthrogram. You know? So that kind of guidance uh, and not only diagnosis, but in ordering other imaging, I mean, it could be just so invaluable there. I can see a couple uh, business applications as we go. Like one I said before is you may not own, your own machine, but you may, you may want to make a connection with somebody who does. Right. Another one is you could, um, you could be like the clinicians that bring in their butterfly IQ machine. You know, they might see enough of these conditions that it warrants the investment uh, mm -hmm. to improve outcomes. Mm -hmm. I could see a third where, is there a third option where somebody could, could own and operate a machine and then network or market themselves out to other professionals in the community, say in a larger city and say, you know, I, I, I perform this service for your patients. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, I think the three of us know somebody who does that currently. And uh, I think people in other cities probably do that as well. If, if you have the skill set and you can prove that to somebody, then yeah, by all means. And then uh, you guys at Logan university you teach um, a multitude of courses in musculoskeletal ultrasound. Uh, 
what are those courses like? What do people go through when they go to the course? What do they experience? How's it all broken down? This is commercial time. Give me the commercial. <laughs> go ahead, guys. Can we, can we talk real quick about the utility and clinic first before we move on to self-promotion? Well, that's probably, yeah. yes. I mean, that's... that's I'm, I'm all yes. about the self-promotion, but... Um, <laughs> yes, Pat. Yeah, uh, you know, as we all know, like when... It's easy to make clinical diagnoses when everything's so straightforward, right? But oftentimes, that's not the case. And I can't even tell you how many seemingly, you know, full thickness rotator cuff tears come through clinic that end up being tendinopathy or vice versa, but they're in so much pain, they can't move. And you simply do a scan and it really answers the question and it influences your decision making. You can look them in the eye and tell them, hey, you know, this is not a tear, et cetera. Um, you know, it'll be better soon. All these things, right? It gives you that level of certainty too to project that onto the patient. And then things like carpal tunnel, it's not uncommon, as we know, for patients to have these bilateral symptoms with unilateral disease. So making the diagnosis which side is in fact abnormal or if both sides look normal, then you have to really consider another differential, whether it's a different nerve lesion myelopathy or it's something nonspecific, right? It's your problem-solving tool that enhances your clinical confidence, which is so important as you go to make other imaging diagnoses or as you go to advise the patient to be patient, watchful waiting, continue with care, these sorts of things. So it's, it's you know, it's easy for me to say because until you do it in clinic, it's just all sort of conjecture. But it's a really, really good problem-solving tool when you're confronted with these cases that aren't so cut and dry, right? They're not so clear. It could be one of five things, and you want to help that decision-making. I think uh, another important thing to mention, too, we talked about the knocks on it. And, Dan, if you want to throw in any clinical stuff, go ahead as well. But uh, I think it's important to talk about the, the pros, the strengths. Uh, so... Uh, we talked about this with MRI. If, if I send somebody out, I'm trusting that tech, I'm trusting that radiologist, trusting so many different moving parts to get that just right, which that's why locally we only trust certain imaging centers. If somebody told me they went to blank imaging center, I, I already know it's going to suck. <laughs> and yep. I know I don't trust the exam and really that was just a waste of money. Uh, so I personally want to have control over the exam. If it comes to MRI, I'm going to send them to a certain place because I know it's going to be a good tech and I know it's going to be a good radiologist. When it comes to ultrasound, I think such an important thing for chiropractors to consider is this is something that you can learn and this is something that you can own. You know, you're not going to go buy a magnet. That, that's not feasible. But you can certainly buy a probe and you can become the guy or the girl at, at this. You know, this can be your thing that you can become best at and you can have absolute control over that and you can trust the exam because you're the one doing it. Just to keep going with it, uh, the, the real strengths here, the, the real-time dynamic aspect of it. You know, an MRI, you're, you're scrolling through slice by slice, but when you're doing an ultrasound, show me what makes your shoulder hurt. Okay, drop the probe, where does it hurt? And you can mark that spot and you can look exactly, just pinpoint right there. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're gonna find the problem right there, but having the person able to move, being able to go through dynamic maneuvers. Uh, oftentimes what the protocol includes is basically just orthopedic tests. These are dynamic movements that the patient is making and we're looking at the tissues move uh, while they're making them. And one of, I think, probably the most important if it's you know next to the dynamic part is the contralateral comparison. 
Uh, we find weird things anatomically all the time. Uh, you'll find it on x-ray, you'll find it on MRI, you'll find it on ultrasound. Well, what you won't have with x-ray and MRI is the ease to go to the other side and say, okay, well, right side looks weird, let's get a left shoulder MRI. Whereas with ultrasound, all you do is drop the probe on the other side, the exact same spot, compare that. Okay, that's the same on both sides, that's probably just an anatomic variant versus it's not the same on the other side, the other side's asymptomatic, this is likely some sort of pathology. And then just going down the list, uh, you know, much lower costs, no ionizing radiation. Uh, for people who are doing procedures, whether that be injections or just dry needling, I mean, we've done this before, so it just comes to mind what an MRI would call a, a grade two tear. Take a muscle like the quad, you know, it's talking about a, a pretty big area of muscle, and you'd be surprised, you know, where it hurts might not be exactly where the tear is. Being able to visualize that partial tear and stick a needle directly into it is, is pretty powerful. It'd also be powerful to for patient education when you say, you know, from a biopsychosocial standpoint, saying, I know it hurts here, but we don't see any actual trauma there. The trauma is either proximal or distal, and, and an understanding yeah. or at least getting that point across them that we don't want to chase the pain, we want to, we want to fix uh, injured tissue and, and address dysfunctions, you know. Right. And then and to uh, that point, making appropriate diagnoses too. you know, Ross mentioned the contralateral, you know, as we keep imaging and as imaging technology keeps improving, we're going to obviously encounter a lot of false pauses, right? Who's not going to have rotator cuff tendinopathy tear, et cetera. So being able to easily have an internal comparison, which is the patient to compare right to left helps us weigh these, you know, anatomical findings helps us weigh their clinical significance of which we might think it's important or, you know, it might be uh, distracting. So that contralateral comparison is very expensive to do with something like an MRI. Indeed. Yeah, I have an anecdote. I know how we all love anecdotes, right? So here, here's a fun one. Uh, this was the first shoulder ultrasound I ever did was on uh, a 60-something-year-old tennis player, and he had some pretty good uh, left shoulder pain. So... We did the ultrasound scan, and lo and behold, he had a full thickness rotator cuff tear on his symptomatic shoulder. And uh, me being all uh, uh, happy with myself, I said, oh, I'm going to educate this patient on what a normal rotator cuff looks like. I'm going to scan his asymptomatic side. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, you know where this is going. <laughs> so I get the probe on his opposite shoulder, totally asymptomatic, never bothered him in his life, and he has a full thickness rotator cuff tear on his asymptomatic shoulder as well. So it can be a great education tool in patients and, uh, and also for physicians as a whole to know that not all positive findings equal symptoms or equal pain and things like that. So ultrasound, you know, if that's an MRI, we're not going to go scan the other shoulder, but ultrasound, it just takes one minute to stick the probe on the other side and, and do a comparison, do a look-see. Yeah, Dr. Hahn, that's how you get the uh, false positives, right? Look. You hurt there, and there's the there's the pathology, and that's why you hurt. There's oh, the yeah. yeah. If we had a if we had a dollar for every time a patient has a pain at their deltoid insertion, and we're scanning the rotator cuff, and they're like, "But doc, it doesn't hurt there. It hurts at my deltoid insertion." So then we have to obviously go scan the deltoid insertion and say, "Well, this looks pretty good." So then we get to educate the patient about referred pain. And it helps to show them that nothing's wrong with their deltoid, 
their deltoid pain is coming from their their rotator cuff pathology likely how does this change how you treat people hmm. does it yeah I, I think it does i think so. number one establishing the important diagnosis is, is key right it goes without saying but it, it is important to know with some certainty not necessarily depending on the condition with high certainty high grade or low grade rotator cuff tear is, is probably not that that important but um, as an example say a patient has shoulder pain uh, they fell you know while walking the dog or the dog pulled the leash really forcibly and they have acute onset of severe shoulder pain they come in um, depending on the patient depending on the rest of the status their expectations etc I think it helps make decisions when you see clearly deranged pathoanatomy. So there's a rotator cuff tear and there's a lot of fluid surrounding it and the skeletal muscle looks good versus there's no tear. It's just tendinopathy versus it's a tear. It's clearly chronic, completely chronic. There's no fluid around it. The muscle is atrophied. Those things might influence decision-making. So if you've got fluid around a rotator cuff tear, the muscle looks good, they're in severe pain, there's a story of some trauma. Now we know the trauma didn't cause the full tear. It's kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, but depending on how active they are, their expectations, they might do better. The literature would say with rotator cuff repair in the intermediate term, if they have a atrophied rotator cuff and the tear is clearly chronic, et cetera. Similarly, you need to be really firm with them and say, listen, you are not a candidate for rotator cuff repair. And this is why you need to be trained in a functional manner. And maybe this gets to the point you need shoulder, you know, arthroplasty. I don't know, but this is, not a conversation for today, right? You do not need to have a consult for rotator cuff repair. So that's just one example, but I think it influences decision-making um, and care of the patient, you know, greatly depending on what you see on the imaging, depending on the case. Not every patient should get an ultrasound exam, right? Um, just like anything else, you know, it's a test. It needs to be used uh, appropriately, but I think when used correctly, it can really influence your decision-making. So you guys aren't just shooting everybody at the clinic up with goo and then probing them? <laughs> we wish. When you're learning, maybe. After that, see no. All the stuff that you could see. No, That's it's right, kind, right. kind is like a, a, to help with making diagnostic decisions of exclusion, right? Like this. I always That's a big power. Yeah. Like yeah, getting yeah. the patient well, out of the office. Like I'll this. throw out a, another example. Um, consider that my, uh, the ultrasound is like a microscope. So, I would say fractures becomes a big deal here. And with the, especially our audience today that might be listening to this, talk about sports chiropractors. I know yep. the three of us have come across this a lot of times. We've got a young runner. Uh, runners are the worst because they're not going to stop running. Yeah, uh, We've got pain. We need to establish if that's a stress fracture or not. Uh, you have to have a lot of bony change for that to be visible on x-ray. Uh, it might be visible at MRI. Again, that's a much more expensive test. Uh, we can see that. We can see those changes because, again, uh, it's like a microscope. So ultrasound is going to see things that x-ray would not see. Uh, these are changes that just wouldn't be visible. So there have been plenty of times where we've established that diagnosis. You know, this is not a strained sprain. This is a stress fracture. It, you need to shut it down. You know, this is going to – because – in this patient at this rate, this is going to turn into a full fracture at some point. Uh, there are plenty of other examples, but you know, a lot of times it, it, it does become a big time decision maker. Just out of curiosity, are these probes at the wavelength of the therapeutic probes where they would cause heat? Like no. in, in, okay. 
So this is a, a much higher uh, frequency. Okay. So we're talking about operating, uh, for our terms, usually above 10 megahertz for oh, wow. a good, good resolution and as high mm-hmm. as I think the probes that we have personally on campus go as high as 18 megahertz. Things screaming. So Do it's you, not, uh, it's not producing heat. You uh, put, put it in water and watch the waves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, do it self promo time guys self promo time you got to talk about the the you got to talk we're going to talk about how awesome logan university is in a minute but we want to talk about the program specifically sure our ultrasound course that that we're currently running was a a year-long course that we put together to give the chiropractic practitioner an opportunity to to greatly increase their skill level in um, a shorter period of time as possible so our current setup, we, we've been meeting monthly for the past year, and each year we focus on a specific joint or region, wow. and we also review prior regions. One of, the, I think, the best parts about our courses now and moving forward is that these courses are hands-on. So people shouldn't expect to sit in the chair and listen to people talk at our courses. We, we uh, basically give our participants the opportunity to get real-time scanning of practice and, and critiquing at, as we watch over their shoulder. So their hands are on probes, they're palpating patients, they are learning their cross-sexual anatomy by doing ultrasound exams under the watchful eye of uh, myself, uh, Dr. Maddox, and Dr. Battaglia. So I think that's one of the biggest advantages of the way our courses are taught is that while we do provide some didactic material to help augment and to help uh, improve learning, uh, the, the biggest feature, I think, is the hands-on nature because we know not everybody has the opportunity to go home and scan the next day. So we really pack a lot of scanning, a lot of hands-on time into our courses. Where can people learn more about the courses themselves? Website. I have the website in front of me. You guys. HTTPS <laughs> colon backslash backslash. Probably a www. www dot. I mean, if you go to uh, the Logan website, there should be a tab somewhere for postgraduate. Yeah, there's a postgraduate tab, and you'll see it right on the. Yeah. Yeah, if you go to logan.edu and then you go postgraduate, you'll see it. I don't know where else they can find it. If they go to the forwardthinkingchiro.com website on our events page. Great option. Hey, there you go. The events listed there too. Um, One I'm, of the best things about the course too, real quick that Dan uh, mentioned a little bit, there's a lot of review built in each weekend. So for example, this upcoming weekend, next weekend we're going to cover hand ultrasound, which it isn't much. There's a short checklist of things to do. But we're also going to review shoulder, elbow, and wrist. And then in addition, we do some the odd part scanning, if you will, brachial plexus, peripheral nerve traps, and that sort of thing. So there's, uh, the hope is to build every weekend um, on what was done in the past. That way you get more and more of that repetition in, and at the same time, show a little bit of intermediate or advanced level uh, things as well for those that might be interested. That's very cool. Who designed this course? It's something we've all been talking about for years i mean i know when i was going through residency and fellowship i thought man why aren't we teaching this to people yeah uh i mean i know i personally didn't design this myself dan did you yeah 
I guess you could say that. We kind of all had a little bit to do with it. I kind of laid out the overall plan and, and again, just emphasizing that what we really want is just giving people the opportunity to get their hands on ultrasound probes. Yeah, you're my man, Dr. Han, because that's how I roll too. Lay down the framework. You don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. You just have to make sure that you've got the smartest people in the room. That's why Pat Ross is done. What is it? uh, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think one of the big things about this, again, we've been talking about it for years. It's not like it's easy to put this on. There's logistically, it's, it's certainly not easy, but an important thing to remember is that this was the pilot. This is the first time we've done it and mm-hmm. got a lot of feedback and we've been listening to people. So our goal is after this first one wraps up is to do it a little bit differently going forward. Uh, 10 months makes a lot of sense. It's 120 hours. You really, really do need that hands on. Uh, but we're hoping that after this one wraps up in September to start doing it again as early as October in a much more easily repeatable course, uh, splitting it simply into an upper extremity weekend and lower extremity weekend. So the, the power of that would be a, it's going to be way more affordable than other courses around the country. There, there are courses where you could go and cover the upper extremity for, uh, I think the going price is around 2,300 bucks, something like that. It's a, it's a very expensive course and you get a lot out of it, but what the problem is, unless you've got a probe in your hand every day, you go and learn all that stuff and then you can't go home and practice it. Yeah. Uh, the idea behind this will be you go and you take the upper extremity weekend. And then if you want to, you come back and you take it again and you just, you get that repetition and it makes it much easier, uh, which kind of drive home, drives home the pat, point that Pat made about review. You know, we did the shoulder, then we did the elbow and reviewed the shoulder. Then we did the wrist and reviewed the shoulder and the elbow. And we're about to do hand review shoulder, elbow, wrist, you know, that repetition. Uh, we're hoping to do that all in just one weekend, one, you know, action packed weekend of just a ton of scanning. And then if you wanted to, you could do the same thing the very next month. Where do, where do you think the, uh, all... oh, sorry. Real, real quick to the question, um, who designed the course to, I, I think the three of us definitely, uh, need to acknowledge to our residency director, our mentor, Thanks. Dr. Kettner, Dr. Norman mm-hmm. Kettner, he probably had the vision 20 years ago to, yeah. if not more, to get ultrasound into the profession. And um, I'm sure he's happy to start seeing it, it come into fruition a little bit because um, he's impressed upon us, of course, over time, the value of that clinically really opened our eyes to it and invested a lot in us, um, not only, you know, with the equipment, but with the training that we've had. We've had a lot of training behind the scenes, not only informally um, at Logan, but formally. So he definitely is... Uh, deserves a lot of credit um, for I think where things are at now as far as the state of our radiology and our musculoskeletal uh, ultrasound imaging at Logan. For sure. Does this multi, does this musculoskeletal ultrasound have a place in the profession as a whole? Yeah, that's a great question. That's when we get asked quite frequently. Um, Pat, or I think it was Ross actually made this statement. It fits most nicely in those chiropractic offices that have a sports injury uh, tilt to them because athletes commonly present with disorders of the extremities where ultrasound excels and um, usually they're chronic in nature, repetitive overuse, but some acute and all of those fit 
fit so well with with ultrasound imaging. So if this if ultrasound is really going to take foot take hold in the chiropractic profession, it will likely start with uh, the sports chiropractor adopting it into into daily use on their patient population. Is there a place in the educational realm to insert educating people properly on musculoskeletal ultrasound? Oh, there's so many things. Uh, Dan and I were just having this conversation earlier yeah. about uh, teaching anatomy. I mean, I, I personally have started reading a lot more. But I have a friend who teaches anatomy. And she travels the country and goes to other schools. And she was telling me about how some schools, some medical schools, they use ultrasound to help teach anatomy and some that they don't. It just makes me scratch my head and say, why aren't they doing it at the other? So uh, for me, that's one way. I'm sure you guys can talk about others. Yeah, yeah physical just, exam. I mean, surface anatomy, yeah. all of that. It's just an extension of, you know. Being able to visualize an orthopedic test is pretty damn cool. When you say, oh, that's what's happening under the skin in real time when a person moves their arm like this. Uh, then that orthopedic test makes a hell of a lot more sense. I can imagine um, some of the emphasis in the profession on on plain film radiographs, if that was, oh, this might be controversial, de-emphasized a little bit <laughs> in education. There could be a place to, to put musculoskeletal ultrasound uh, into the program there. But, you know, I don't run a college. I'm not an educator, right. so I have no place... I'm just saying, you know, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there in the world. And when a butterfly flaps its wings on one side of the world, a wave breaks on the other. I'm just saying if there are any educators listening. You know. mm. And Bobby, going back to uh, you asked about does this belong in the profession? I think you said one thing. You said, I don't see anybody on the West Coast doing it. Uh, something that's pretty cool is nobody really owns this yet. I mean, yeah. Probably in the realm of radiology and people are doing it lots of various people are doing it nobody's really taken over and i don't expect chiropractors to necessarily take it over but the more people learn it uh the more people realize that just like we rely so heavily on x-ray this is something that can become a an excellent diagnostic tool and kind of kind of become a very important tool in the chiropractor's uh, belt and there aren't that many people doing it uh, there are there's a fair number. I mean, it just depends on relatively how, what you consider a lot of people, but uh, yeah, there's certainly a lot of, of potential here. And this what? may go toward your question, Bobby, and I'm going to kind of put Ross on the spot here because there is a, a credential of at least a minimal educational attainment with musculoskeletal ultrasound uh, that, um, it's called the RMSK credential. Ross, would you like to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So uh, the accrediting body, uh, a while back, if you had that credential, there was no separation between sonographer and physician. So eventually, once more physicians started doing ultrasound, they separated it. So there's a RMSKS, which is a sonographer credential, uh, but the RMSK is a physician-level credential. And it just... Uh, signifies that you are uh, a physician. Uh, you can be a DC, DO. I, I haven't looked at the list in a while. Maybe it includes uh, DPT. I'm not real sure who, was on, who is on the list, but you are allowed to do it as a DC as well. Um, there's a test you have to take. You have to have so many exams under your belt. Uh, 
but it just kind of, you know, it's a way to, if I was looking around and I wanted to find somebody to send for an ultrasound exam, those letters are a good place to start. That was probably going to be my next question. How do you know who's good and who isn't? Yeah. I mean, you know, you really need to do some research there, but somebody with those letters have, like Dan said, met the minimum requirements. Uh, there, there's a board exam. There's, uh, there's a lot that goes into it. So uh, that person has trained and jumped through the hoops to, to get that certification. Hey, doctors, you're all Logan bred and born? Correct. Born and bred? Yes, what, sir. What is it there? I mean, I'm interested. I'm I'm excited for Forward 2019, the annual convention of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. We're going to be at Logan University in September. Um, you you guys seem to produce some really really good clinicians. What's going on over there? <laughs> What's in the water? What's in the water? What's in that Mississippi River over there? <laughs> Uh, certainly on our end, I mean, it's been a, a straight line, like from, you know, like I mentioned before, Dr. Kentner, you know, when I started, Dan was still uh, maybe in his fellowship or just finished and a big motivation yeah, and uh, a mentor for me as well. So mm-hmm. because we have a residency established, uh, at least in radiology, that helps keep that, um, you know, culture of mentorship and training going. But um, outside of that, you know, I'm not too sure. It's like uh, there have always been the stalwarts of the I'm making air quotes, but we're on a podcast that's audio only evidence-based campuses, right? Institutions. And and we could all name those stalwarts. And Logan wasn't always at the top of that list. Mm -hmm. Um, I always sort of classified them as the middle ground. And then over here on the West coast, we made fun of you guys because you did the whole thing with the thumb on the butt cheek (laughs) and all that Logan basic. I don't, it could be amazing. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if it's an amazing technique or what. I have no experience with it. Wait till September. Yeah. I want to, I don't know if I want to experience it personally, but I definitely want to see, I want to see it run down. Um, I I think uh, Dr. Kettner is probably a big part of it for all of us. Uh, Just like Pat said, I personally went out and practiced for a little while. And then when I found that that wasn't really meeting my hopes and dreams, I wanted to come back and hang out around people like uh, Dr. Kettner and Dr. Hahn. And uh, that was a big part of me coming back for residency. And then Pat came on after that. And just me being able to surround myself with those people makes me a hell of a lot better. And I, I, I always want to be a part of that. Um, and for me, when I got into the clinical part, I mean, it's not like I saw that in my future. But once, once Logan gave me the, the opportunity to do that, to a, be able to help people the way I do, which is pretty cool in and of itself, but to B, be able to hopefully change the future for those select few interns that I do get to touch on a daily basis, not physically touch, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but I, I feel like I have the opportunity to change the path for those, those individuals. And uh, that's just super important for me. Not everybody knows about evidence-based care when they get to me. Uh, I mean, they do, but they haven't been able to apply it yet. I'll, I'll yeah, it's just an ideal, right? It's just sort of a, yeah. I've heard the word, but I don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for me, uh, Logan and Dr. Kettner being able to put me in that position to have that impact is uh, is huge for me. I don't think the young students and the young doctors, it takes a while for them to grow into it as well. I don't understand the profession so small. There's a huge opportunity in this profession to make a, a dramatic difference in people's lives, not just the patients you serve, but in the profession itself. Like 
any one of you or me or anybody else who's listening could quite easily make a huge difference in this profession if they if they threw themselves into it. Certainly. And you know, we want to we don't want to get too uh, what is that movie The Secret? We don't want to get like too <laughs> um, you know the world is your oyster if you just think about it hard enough. But with enough work ethic and and the right ideas, you can make a difference not just in this profession but the world as a whole. Right. You just have to not be that person who just like shows up to work every day and then clocks out and goes home and watches Netflix. Sure. You got to, you got to have some fire and, and you've got to have some, um, some skin in the game. You know what I mean? And another unique thing too, uh, we're heading more and more towards more of an integrative environment. Uh, I don't know how many years you'd have to go back to where that wasn't present, but uh, Dan, Pat and myself are all in integrated sites. So I work alongside internal medicine uh, and behavioral health, you know, that things like that are, that's where our patients are coming from. You know, they're yeah. coming from primary care. Uh, they're being co-managed with other healthcare professionals. We're right there in there. And we've got our, our student interns in there as well. So, uh, you know, the learning experience is. Uh, that's huge, man. No, that's huge because for so many years, so many decades, you know, a century, um, the, the, the students, as we've made students into doctors, I don't want to say all of them, but a lot of them have been, have been taught or have been in, initiated into a field where we said we are, we are other than, other than all those other professionals. We're different. They're the enemy has even been said. Right. Uh, they, they hurt people and we help people. All this rhetoric that doesn't help the person, doesn't help the patient. You still get those interns too. Oh, I'm sure you do. And I'm sure, and you, you know, they get drawn in either by a relative or by the, the chiropractor they had in their hometown, yeah. you know, whatever. There's, there's no fault on them. It's almost like you can't blame a bad puppy because they've had bad training. It's always the owner's fault and who, who owned them, who trained them. Mm -hmm. um, but for, for you guys to have students experience and, and see how that works, that's, that's the largest step. Because I think the people who have always been in the adversarial position, they never even saw it. They didn't even know that you can have a conversation with the physician. <laughs> right. Or, you know, you can work with the mental health field and you guys can get um, uh, a lot out of it. I wanted to bring in some, some of the people from the St. Louis community who, who understand motivational interviewing. So we understand uh, the, the, there's a lot of, at this forward convention, there's a lot of emphasis on the biopsychosocial approach, on the pain science approach, being reasonable about pain science and sort of trying to blend in the things we do hands-on with people, the things we do diagnostically, and the things we do to manage the, the psychosocial aspects of their pain that they're experiencing. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to bring so many people from your community into the same place. You guys might not know each other at all, but that's why I'm the wizard behind the curtain, right? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. We were just talking about this earlier too. I mean, we didn't use the words motivational interviewing, but uh, it's something that is a big part of what I and what we all do every day. And it, it really comes into play when Dan mentioned earlier, hey, there was this patient and I got him better, but I didn't adjust him. You know, it's, <laughs> we have so much of that, uh, so much of the behavioral health aspect of it that doesn't necessarily happen with a behavioral health provider. You know, it happens with us. Encouragement, uh, you know, uh, kind of undoing uh, bad thoughts and bad advice that a person has been getting. Well, you know, they told me not to go to work and not to do anything and sit in my butt all day. And 
Um, well, that's broken. the magic. It, it, when I talked about selecting the right care for patients earlier, there's also going to be a time where people need to understand that your services from the psychosocial point of view are not going to be appropriate for the patient and they need to see a professional Correct. who specializes in that. Mm-hmm. And, and when do you, when do you pull that trigger? When do you understand that it's time to do that? And I don't think people do. I mean, all this stuff that we're talking about gets us as far away from our egos of that one cause, one cure on the answer to everybody yeah. that we, that we can. And I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'm all about that. And that's what I think is truly unique about our sites. If you really step back and look at everything, I mean, we came on here to talk about ultrasound and look at all the stuff you just said. We yeah. have these integrated sites practicing with other practitioners along with behavioral health, uh, getting people mostly with chronic pain better. And then we've also got this tool at our disposal, diagnostic ultrasound, to take what maybe another provider told them, you know, this is probably what's going on and say, okay, well, let's, let's find out. Let's solidify that. Or let's change that because we just ruled that out. Now we're going to go a different direction. Uh, there's, there's just so much potential there. Yeah. Someone's got to pass the ball or the puck. Someone's got to dribble it up. Somebody's got to shoot. Somebody's got to defend. Uh, yeah. We're, we're all in this together. Yeah, and uh, the, the collaboration, too, is, uh, is really growing. Uh, the more we're there, the more other people really want to be a part of what we're able to do in these clinics. And we're trying to make that what Logan uh, for 2019 is all about as well. Um, Gray Cook is going to do a keynote. with Annie O'Connor, who wrote a book, A World of Hurt. She's a, a PT, an amazing PT. We, um, you know, we have a, a Feldenkrais practitioner. Most people don't know what Feldenkrais is or how it's been utilized in rehabilitation. Um, but we're going to have a Feldenkrais practitioner discuss that. I want the motivational interviewing people there. I want it to be as collaborative as we possibly can um, with, with not really knowing how to, I don't know how to bring all the people to the table together, but we're going to do the best we can. And I think we're going to put on a good show. And you guys will be there. All three of you on the stage at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So the plan is, uh, and you guys feel free to chime in is to Larry Moe and Curly. up there. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to give the same old boring lecture. Uh, also know you're going to have Aaron Welk there and Aaron's probably going to talk about, because he's talking about shoulder injuries. He's probably going to have some shoulder ultrasound cases. Yes, indeed. Uh, we That's want awesome. to show a little more of the, the dynamic part of it. So we'd like to do a demo and actually have everybody able to see on the screen what we're seeing on our screen while we're doing this exam and show them the power of uh, what they can see while they do that. Sweet. No, this is going to be great. The utility, you know, point of care. And, and and again, you know, you mentioned at the start of this, not perfect. We'll emphasize and it's important and we feel compelled to emphasize strengths and limitations. And hopefully, yeah, you know, people can walk away with, here's what it might help with, with some training and here's what it's not so good for. And, it's another, you know, important skill, you know, when you're caring for people with musculoskeletal disorders, it can be really powerful if, if known how to use correctly. And we'll hopefully be able to get some of that across. Well, what we, I like about these shows is it's not just about the crowd, um, you know, uh, being educated and, and getting good new information and all that. But you guys are going to be there with, uh, you're going to be there with Gray Cook. You're going to be there with Brett Winchester. You probably already know anyways. Um right. You know, Jason Holm, you're going to be there with so many people who come from a different sort of walk or angle that at some point conversations right. happen, you know, like, hey, I never thought that I could apply this to 
you know, could you imagine Greg Rose, who was the keynote speaker last year, uh, witnessing a diagnostic ultrasound lecture and be like, hmm, I never thought about that for my golfers. Mm-hmm. You know, those kind of conversations come up at these yeah. events. Um, and, and that's part of, that's all part of the magic. So I'm, I'm going to be, I'm really excited to meet you guys in person. Uh, if people want to find out more about the forward convention itself, you can go to forwardthinkingchiro.com. It should be on the events page. If you're a Facebook type forward chiropractic events seems to be where most of the information is. So if you search forward chiropractic events, you can find out about this event and, um, and we're going to get after it in a couple months. So I'll see you guys soon. Yeah, right. sure. Looking forward to it. And uh, if if anyone else has any other questions they have for you guys or about your uh, courses or any specific questions about musculoskeletal ultrasound in general, is there a way that they can contact you? Uh, short course in the meantime, email or whatnot. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, email is uh, great. I don't know if it can be linked or not to, to the you know, show yeah, notes or anything. But you can know, have it. Podcast. Uh, another thing, too, and I need to get better about this, but. Uh, I'm going to be kind of on the FTCA page speaking for the three of us. So uh, any questions that come through there, I can run by these guys and answer. And what I need to get better about is posting cases. Uh, we've talked about it. I just haven't I've been lazy about it. So I'd like to start posting some cases to show everybody, you know, this. Here's where ultrasound changed the course of this. It changed the treatment protocol. It changed whatever. It had a different patient outcome. Uh, that stuff's important to see. Right. Well, you yeah, know, we made it an hour into the show before the excuses started from, uh, from Ross. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's a pretty good run. That's right. a pretty good run. I want to throw one more thing out there too. Uh, since we talked about collaboration, uh, once we once we start this again, once we try to start doing a, a, a two-weekend course at some point, uh, upper extremity and lower extremity, that's going to be more of a collaborative effort. We're going to open that to... Uh, hopefully MDs, DOs, NPs, PAs, DPTs, so uh, oh, and sonographers as well. So hopefully you're going to be in a room full of people that might have that moment like you just said, like, oh, well, using this for my golfers or using this for my whatever. And then a conversation is happening across the, across the table between the MD and the PT and the DC and the DO. And uh, that, I think, is, is pretty exciting, all coming together over one shared tool. We are in a moment in our profession and in healthcare in general where these conversations are probably the most important thing that we can do for the people we serve. Right. And that's why I enjoyed this conversation with you, gentlemen. Hopefully we knocked it out of the park. That's how you end a show right there. So, uh, great. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Thank you guys very much. All right, that was our interview with the esteemed Logan doctors, Ross Maddox, Pat Battaglia, and Dan Hahn, and they did a great job, don't you think? Nice guys. Uh, I really enjoyed that conversation. Uh, I think we touched on a lot of good things. We probably went in-depth as much as we could with what we got, and um, I think we hinted on something that's going on in the profession, which we will talk about in this pain zone finish. Dun, dun, dun finish of the podcast is brought to you by pain zone of course you can go to ipainzone.com and you can get some samples but don't forget to also follow pain zone on all the social medias their instagram is great uh facebook and all that they've got great content and information uh, and uh, be part of their family and allow them to be part of yours get some of those pain zone socks but uh i think this this diagnostic ultrasound 
uh, approach, uh, along with many other approaches in how we practice, it hints towards something. It hints not only towards the public's demand for more precise diagnosis and more concise treatment. Uh, as Greg Rose would say, like a sniper, we want to go in there and we want to find out what to do. We want to get that job done and then we want to get out. It's like the old school, find it, fix it, and leave it alone. Um, without the dilly-dallying, and the best way to do that is with the best assessments possible, the best diagnostics possible, uh, with the least expense and the least uh, uh, lapse in proper treatment available to the patient as possible. Obviously, I was trying to hone down on the interview when that time would be uh, best, when the diagnostic ultrasound would be best served for the patient to cut down on that time and be as effective as possible. And uh, those guys are boss. They know exactly what to talk about. <clears throat> they know their game. And uh, I think they nailed it. Uh, so there might be a time in your clinical practice where you find that diagnostic or musculoskeletal ultrasound, I don't, whatever it's called, we never clarified that, uh, is the right way to go for a patient that's under your care and you've got to have the resources available to get it done. Doesn't mean you have to own a machine. Um, but it does mean you kind of got to have that in your back pocket, in your bag of tricks as a thing to utilize, just like many of these other bags, these other tricks in the bag that we're all learning about to make us the best clinicians for the people we serve possible, because that's where the world is going. Can we be efficient? That doesn't mean we have to be super, super low value, low cost. Our efficiency can be quite expensive. Uh, to be masters of our craft. It just means that we got to do the best for the people with what we have available and uh, uh, musculoskeletal ultrasound should be added to that mix. So hopefully this uh, opened your eyes or educated you or reaffirmed your desire to include this uh, part of healthcare into your practice. Hope you have great, uh, whatever this is, whatever day you're reading this or listening to this, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, uh, I'll look, I look forward to talking at you, even though I don't know who you are, or who's listening on our next episode of Forward, the podcast of the FTCA.